This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Majid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. I'd like to read a long poem called Relying on Mind, uh, attributed to the third patriarch, Seng Tsang, Japanese name is Sozan. You may remember him from Nothing is Hidden in his dialogue with a young novice monk who came to him and said, Master, please emancipate me. And the third patriarch said, who put you in bondage? The young man said, no one. The patriarch then said, then why do you seek emancipation? This poem elaborates on that uh, sense of um, original emancipation, which gets obscured so that we imagine we are in bondage. Relying on mind. The supreme way is not difficult. It just precludes picking and choosing. Without yearning or loathing, the way is perfectly apparent, while even a hairbreadth difference separates heaven and earth. To see the way with your own eyes, quit agreeing and disagreeing. The battling of likes and dislikes, that's the disease of the mind. Misunderstanding the great mystery, people labor in vain for peace. Mind has the totality of space, nothing lacking, nothing extra. It's just selecting and rejecting that make it seem otherwise. Don't pursue worldly concerns. Don't dwell passively in emptiness. In the peace of absolute identity, confusion vanishes by itself. Suppressing activity to reach stillness just creates agitation. Dwelling in such dualities, how can you know identity? People who don't know identity bog down on both sides. Rejecting form, they get stuck in it. Seeking emptiness, turn away from it. The more people talk and ponder, the further they spin out of accord. Bring gabbing and speculation to a stop. The whole world opens up to you. You want the essence, get right to the root. Chasing reflections, you lose sight of the source. 
turning the light around for an instant, routes becoming, abiding and decay. The changing phases, the ups and downs, all result from misperception. There's no need to seek the truth. Just put a stop to your opinions. The list of constructs don't endure, so take care not to pursue them. As soon as positive and negative arise, the mind is lost in confusion. The two exist because of the one, but don't cling to oneness either. If you don't conceive even oneness of mind, the ten thousand things are all flawless. In this flawlessness, there's nothing at all. No conceptions, no mind. The subject disappears with its objects. Objects vanish without a subject. Objects are objects because of subjects. Subjects, subjects because of objects. If you want to know both these aspects, originally they're one and empty. A single empty, emptiness unites opposites, pervading all things equally. We didn't see things as fine and coarse. How could prejudice exist? The supreme way by nature is all-embracing. Not easy, not difficult. The quibbling and hesitating, the more you hurry, the slower you go. Holding on to things wrecks your balance, inevitably throwing you off course. But to let everything go, be genuine, and the essence won't leave or stay. Accept your nature. Accord with the way. Stroll at ease, trouble-free. Tying up thoughts denies reality, and you sink into a stupor of resistance. Resisting thoughts perturbs the spirit. Why Why treat what's yours as foreign? If you want to enter the one vehicle, don't disdain the five senses. Not disdaining the six senses, sorry, six senses, not five senses. Not disdaining the six senses, that's enlightenment itself. The wise have nothing to do, while the unwise tie themselves in knots. And since things aren't different in essence, it's stupid to hang there and cling. Get hold of the mind by using the mind. Isn't that a gross error too? Delusion creates calm and chaos. Enlightenment entails no good or evil. Every opposition under the sun derives merely from false thinking. Like dreams, illusions, spots before your eyes. Why bother grasping at them? Gain and loss, right and wrong, Let them go once and for all. If you don't fall asleep, dreams cease on their own. If you don't conjure up differences, all things are of one kind. In the essential mystery of identity, eternal and ephemeral are forgotten. Seeing the things of the world evenly restores their genuine character. Without grounds and criteria, They can't be judged or compared. Still or active, nothing moves, and active or still, nothing ceases. You don't perpetuate duality, 
how can an even identity remain? In the very end, at the ultimate, there's no room for rules or measures. The harmonious, equanimous mind, here all efforts subsides. Doubt is wiped utterly away. What's truly reliable, established. Nothing hangs in the mind. There's nothing to remember. Empty, luminous, genuine. The mind needs no exertion. This isn't the sphere of thought. can't be gauged by reason or feeling. The Dharma realm of true actuality harbors neither self nor other. To reach accord with it at once, just say, not to. Without duality, all beings are the same, not a single one excluded. Sages throughout the world all find entry to this source. Here, hurry and delay have no bearing. An instant is 10,000 years. Here and not here don't apply either. Everywhere it's right before your eyes. The tiny is the same as the large once boundaries are forgotten. The huge the same as the small if they're not seen in terms of limits. Likewise, being is actually not being, not being the same as being. Any understanding short of this, you should definitely abandon. No one is other than all, all no other than one. Your insight matched this, what anxieties could remain. The reliable mind lacks dualities. Non-duality is relying on mind. Here the way of words is cut. No past, no future, no present. Now when I read this, I feel a tension within the poem between two perspectives. One the dominant tone of the poem is descriptive. Uh, It's trying to present how things look from an enlightened, non-dualistic perspective. Uh, But that description is in recurrent tension with the side of the poem that's also prescriptive, telling you what you need to do to get there. Uh, let me read back a few examples of I think each uh, part of that supreme way is not difficult it just precludes picking and choosing to see the way with your own eyes quit agreeing and disagreeing don't pursue worldly concerns. Don't dwell passively in emptiness. Just put a stop to your opinions. Now you can hear the the prescriptive tone in all these words. Don't stop, right? Cut it out. <laughs> right? 
But then there's a whole other presentation that says things like it's just selecting and rejecting to make it seem otherwise. Right? It just seems that we're in bondage. If we see it, if we just see things clearly, there's no problem. And there are these lines that actually seem to go against the grain of effort or doing anything, such as suppressing activity to reach stillness just creates agitation. And he's looking at all the ways in which we tend to come down on one side or the other or try to pursue something. Accept your nature. Accord with the way and stroll at ease, trouble-free. Resisting thoughts perturbs the spirit. Why treat what's yours as foreign? I think that's uh, psychologically the most interesting line there. What, why treat what's yours as, as foreign? Why treat anything that arises in your mind as not you, as something that you need to get rid of. The wise have nothing to do. See, I think this is the tension we all feel one way or another in practice between the side that says, just sit, leave everything alone, look in the mirror and the side that engages our inevitable conscious or unconscious secret practices where effort or gain or striving seem inevitable right? so I wrote recently it's, it strikes me how much every kind of spiritual and philosophical tradition has one side of it that, that, that treats freedom as freedom from and talks about what aspect of our mind or our nature we somehow have to get rid of in order to become enlightened or spiritual or good. And it varies, you know, quite a lot from one kind of tradition into another. Uh, The Stoics in general wanted to banish emotional reactions and become in accord with reason. Romantics wanted to banish reason and get into accord with emotion. Christians saw sexuality as part of an original sin, and the holy life was one of celibacy. In Buddhism, there are many strands of self-denial in which we 
speak of detachment or non-clinging, and that can be <coughs> getting rid of possessiveness at the most basic level and being a homeless monk with no abode, no possessions, relying totally on alms. to an identification of attachment or clinging with emotional dependency or emotional needs or sexual needs. And most of these traditions have strong celibate monastic strands to them, uh, thinking that sexual and emotional attachments are impediments. One, see, we, we can say all of these traditions and philosophies try to grapple with the things, the suffering we want to be free from. But the most basic suffering is of that inflicted by sickness, change, old age, and death. These are things we have absolutely no power whatsoever over. And at some point in all our practice we come to some kind of reconciliation with these aspects of life. In Buddhism we put them under a heading of impermanence. And we see that we can never get rid of those things, that they are fundamental to what life is. And yet, all of practice seems to be about, well, if I can't control those things, let me control something else. Right? I will put a lot of effort into controlling my thoughts, my emotions, my behavior, something, right? And maybe if I master all of that, somehow there's going to turn out to be a connection. And the mastery over here is going to give me relief from the fundamental lack of mastery over impermanence in the big picture. And so we have to watch out for that tension in our own practice when we think, we're mastering and how that mastering is supposed to connect or be relevant to the all the aspects of this impermanent life that can't be mastered, can only be accepted. This poem, Relying on Mind, it's also sometimes translated as faith in mind offers a a picture of resting in how things are Uh, being in accord with the way means in accord with how life is including its impermanent nature how do we get in accord with it As Joko would say, we have to begin by seeing clearly and acknowledging all the ways we 
reject and resist life as it is, how we try to reject being in accord with something we imagine is bringing us suffering. That's really the force, I think, of the language in the poem that says, don't do this, quit that, right? It's really seeing the ways your judgment tries to push away or control the uncontrollable. It tries to show you from a different perspective what opens up when we leave everything just as it is. <laughs>